Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hello and welcome back to the Prep to Pro NBA Draft Podcast. My name is Ben Pfeiffer and as always, I'm joined by my co-host Max Carlin. Max, how's it going? To be honest, Ben, I'm a nervous wreck because Game 7 is tonight and we're recording this. We're existing in this weird area where I am currently very nervous. When everyone hears this, we will we'll know what happened, you know, the fate of Game 7. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right, I guess. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Yeah, let, let, let's hope for your sake that that the Celtics can can pull it off and advance to the conference finals, where they will face the Miami Heat, um, and hopefully be able to make it to the finals. Um, and yeah, t- today we are joined by our friend and basically third host PD. So PD, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, how's everybody today? Aside from you know anxieties. <laughs> Eh, fine um well i'm excited for for the topic today uh so if you guys haven't read it yet uh pd gave the pd treatment to killian hayes finally uh it was a a long and worthwhile read uh and you should all check it out if you if you haven't at this point i would probably pause this and go read that on pd's patreon uh because we're going to talk about that piece for the next couple hours. Um, so I guess we should probably get right into it. PD, what was your goal uh, with this this Killian piece? Because for those who aren't familiar, like your your breakdowns, they aren't just uh, you know traditional scouting reports of guys. You have a, a larger topic that you're addressing in all of these. So what were you getting at with Killian? As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, BetOnline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing, and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back sports bonuses. Bet online, your on your online wagering experts. Uh, for me, it's the, how much I hate the word safe when it comes to discussing prospects. Um, it's a thing that people say a lot, and it's never examined at all. Um, and that was something that uh, I first struggled with uh, when I like came back to Killian during the Ulm season. It's like this is not what safe is even theoretically supposed to look like and then i just kept hearing it over and over again during this draft cycle so that was i think the topic that i circled back to most 
what do you think when people default to the term safe, what do you think that they're typically getting at? Um, so I think that what safe means is that they don't see like a route for them to like absolutely crash and burn like Josh Jackson. Like, I think that's what safe means. But like, I think if you asked everybody that have a different answer, because it's a pretty unexamined process. I think safe also tends to imply the lack of a higher ceiling, though not always. I think that's generally the implication when a prospect is labeled as a safe prospect. And we'll touch on this later. And that was a big point of, of your piece, PD. But yeah, I, I think even though it's like not direct, I think safe implies um, low upside as well, uh, at, least, at least in a lot of cases. I, I tend to think that it comes with that connotation as well. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know to what extent I've, I've really used the term. It's definitely something I try to skew, but I it, like the one, I, I guess safe to me would mean that there's like a, a small range of outcomes that I'm relatively confident in. And of course, like I Ben, I know this is a big, been, been a big thing for you that, that safety is overrated in guys who we don't perceive to have high ceilings and, and vice versa for guys who we do perceive to have high ceilings. Um, but I, I think that like for, if I ever use safe, it would be to, as a, like a stand in for small range of outcomes. I think that the biggest issue that people have with safe is that it ignores this, like the second process of, um, of being a player. Like, I think that there's a dialectic, um, at play with how players progress and that's analysis development deployment and for me safe like when people say safe it's just like oh you can plug them in anywhere and it'll be fine and that's like universally untrue especially for players who have uh, very sharp edges at the at the edge of like their sort of stat profile or, or game or whatever um and i sort of would say that reminds me of like the Mario Party minigame with the pipes where like you drop the, the chest into one of them and you get whatever result. And that's how I feel people are describing safe prospects. Cause like if you drop Killian, for example, into any circumstance, like there are some probably very poor ones. Like look at RJ, RJ Barrett. That didn't necessarily go perfect. Yeah. I think there are very few guys that you could actually just drop in. Like the, the idea of a, of like a, ready-made piece is kind of or like, like illegitimate fit, fit proof doesn't really exist yeah i mean there are guys that there are guys that um can succeed in a wide range of of contexts but they're like no one is going to be equally good in all of them like you know you like if you talk about impact it comes within the context of a role and you know that you you might still be good in a suboptimal role, but that you know that's not the same as if you were in an optimal role. Your impact would be even higher. So I think that this idea that guys can just be dropped into situations is is like inherently very flawed. I think it's also very there's a temptation to like zoom out and be like, oh, they play to, they play drop. This is you know a drop big man. It's fine, but like that ignores the day to day reality of being a basketball player it's just like working a job and like there's if you're a drop big who needs you know more practices and you go to a doc rivers drop system like you are going to be uncomfortable life is not going to be fun because they practice four times a year so i think that like 
the reality is that most people in basketball work at these, you know, player development jobs or scouting jobs or these like, you know, minutia areas and to call prospects safe sort of ignores the the larger reality for most people who work within basketball and like the importance of their jobs. And to ignore that also like is probably going to catch people up on a lot of their specific failures where it's, you know, guys going into uh, a super uh, orthodox shooting regimen or um, a, like a player development staff that does everything uh, based on a certain template. There's a lot of inherent dangers just to labeling things safe because that's going to turn players into mystery boxes for you. Yeah, like one thing that's become abundantly clear to me with especially this year um, with so many of these guys being really the opposite of safe, that they're just so, so, so unbelievably context dependent and then following one team very closely. Like you really do need to put an incredible amount of time into understanding fit, which is why like I, I, I don't like to talk specifically about team fits necessarily that much because like you it's really hard to to thoroughly understand even the structure of an offense or defense and then that you can't even come to like it's really really hard to then come to an understanding of how a team's player development works so i that's why i feel like when you're talking about projecting fit for prospects you know the the only thing that you're in like on the public side really equipped to say is like broad terms what this prospect needs rather than getting into specifics with on a team by team basis because just knowing the exact needs of 30 teams uh is going to be really really hard um should we move on to the specifics of killian now um and I think it makes sense to start at the beginning because that's kind of how you started your piece, PD. Do you want to get into the first time that you saw Killian and sort of what your thoughts were initially and expand on what you what you kind of mentioned at the beginning of that piece? Yeah, um, I think that the first time that I saw Killian was at 2017 JBC um, in, in New York City. And I was just overwhelmed at how Euro-y he was. Like I knew that his dad was was an American, but like there's just a feeling for guys where you're like, if you don't get quicker, like it's gonna be uh, you know ACB or French League for you for life. And not that that's like a bad life, it's just that there is a threshold that you need to clear for uh, athleticism or tools like plus shooting. And Killian like was not on a developmental track to meet that, um, which is one of those guys that like you you sort of tell people about, and then three years later, like they're kind of washed out. And that's what I thought I was looking at. Um, and then, you know, fast forwarding to Cholet, the the second season of Cholet, uh, like the improvement was so clear and so clear in the specific ways that he needed that, um, like while I was interested before, that was an immediate turn of like, oh no, this is, this is the guy from this French group or then Casalon or Maladon. Yeah. And so, um, I mean, what would you say have been the, the areas that have stood out to you? over the last, I guess we'll say two years that he's been on, on this really, really stark developmental uh, arc. What, what would you say are the, the areas that have really stood out uh, to you? The ability to beat base coverages is the first one. Um, I used it in the piece. There's a clip of him getting hard hedged by Puerto Rico and he goes from like <laughs> the right wing or the right slot to the left slot. And then he has to kill his dribble. And it's like, okay, if you can't get by like Puerto Rico, like there's going to be problems because like this isn't even the, the A tier of this uh, of this youth bracket. Um, and then to see that with like teams cannot hard hedge him. Like, 
unless you have an absolutely nuts big, like it is not going to happen uh, overseas. Um, and so seeing that base coverages don't work, that it requires a, a full team to really defend him or a really specific plan um, is sort of what you look for in guards is just like, can you get buckets? Can you create advantage easily? Whereas before he sort of needed to make the right read, even in like a, a an all-star setting like JBC, like people would make mistakes, he would seize on it. But he didn't necessarily have the the ability to separate the the team defense from the scheme in a way to create those windows himself. Yeah, so I think people get really caught up in things like lacking burst with Killian. Um, but the thing that stood out to me this year with Ulm is kind of exactly what you said that like he now wins consistently at the point of the screen kind of no matter what the coverage is because of i think the really crucial things with him are footwork change of pace and change of direction uh and some some handling as well and then also just his size but like he really like if you if you throw a hedge at him like he can use his footwork and change of direction to just split, you know, to just split the defenders. Like if you, um, if you are, uh, you know, dropping on him, like he can, he can hit you with sharp change of direction and then get to his dominant left hand and get to the rim and finish. Like there, he has, he is developing a way to respond with counters to all of these things that, you know, are, he is creating advantages um, whereas it, it sounds like, you know, back when you first saw him, uh, several years ago, that really wasn't the case. And, and I mean, it wasn't the case in, in FIBA and, or even, you know, in previous years at Cholet. Yeah. I think there's something quantifiable. I mean, we've talked about this before and PD has written about this of just having baskets and advantage creation looking more effortless and for Killian, you know, throughout his development from, from FIBA to Cholet to Ulm, it's just looks more and more effortless, especially this season. I mean, given how big and, you know, with the improved athletic athletic capabilities and his touch, like it should, it should look effortless at times. And it does now compared to where, you know, at, in FIBA, especially every, every single bucket was a struggle. Um, that wasn't like an open three, um, you know, like every half court bucket against the set defense was a struggle because he just didn't have, you know, the, the athletic capabilities or the handling or the footwork to, to get there. But, you know, he, he does now. And I think that's, you know, uh, a salient point to his improvement beyond like these isolated traits that when you put it all together, like it, it checks out, like it, it, it works. Yeah. I do want to talk about sort of the style of how he wins um, and make the, the dangerous leap of invoking Luka Doncic because I, I've, I've said this to, to PD for sure. We've talked about this uh, while he was working on his piece that like it's kind of ridiculous. Well, not kind of ridiculous. It's highly ridiculous that like Denny is the guy in this class getting Luca comps because he is the white international forward. Um, when the guy who has stylistic similarities to Luca in this class is Killian Hayes. And I want to be very clear that Killian Hayes is by no means Luca Doncic's caliber as a player. And he does not have the same degree of, of just ability as, as Luka Doncic. He doesn't have the same change of pace. He doesn't have the same balance. He doesn't have the same strength. Uh, he doesn't have the same ball control. He is not that level of a thinker of the game or a passer. Real like he is, you know, in no way lives up to the level of Luka Doncic. But stylistically, 
he is similar and yet you have Killian Hayes being discounted because he's not necessarily blowing got by guys uh you know much like Luka Doncic was but you have this this demonstration that being an oversized handler who can win at the screen with change of direction where he's manipulating defenders through that with just change of pace that Killian is I think like really increasing his his ability to to use change of pace at a really rapid rate um and just the fact that the advantages that you create when you're that size and that intelligent don't necessarily have to be that extreme like you don't need an open runway to the rim if you just have a guy on your hip like when you have that kind of touch and size and strength like you can just take a floater and it's a pretty good shot like the it's just the the it's not that the margin for error is bigger for guys that size uh strength and intelligence and touch it's just that it's easier for them they have to do less yeah, there's there's a larger clearance for guys like that. There's a margin for um, for mistakes that other people don't have. I think uh, Killian's the first prospect that we've seen that's learned the lesson of Luca as a ball handler, which is that it doesn't matter how fast you're going, as long as the defense isn't going that speed and the defense doesn't know what speed you're going next, then it's so much easier to get buckets. Um, and I think that that's like the stylistic comparison is that um, clearly Killian, you know, and and the people around him saw that and were like, look you are probably never going to have like super duper real burst. Like his burst is good, but like we're not looking at like Montero where it's just like, yeah, good luck. You cannot sit in front of him. Um, but Killian's learned those lessons. And if he were 30 pounds heavier, he would get Luca comps. I mean, yeah. from people who are comfortable making cross, cross racial comparisons, which is still not many people, but like the difference is that Killian doesn't leverage that into physicality in the same way. Where like, you're going to end up bruised if you play Luca. Like if you're the on-ball defender, he's just going to hit you with elbows and shoulders and stomach. Yeah. I think there's like a like the this 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 the size in terms of height plus strength plus change of pace heuristic is a rare and powerful one for a score. I mean, most of the guys, you know, in this class in most draft classes who have that lethal change of pace aren't 6 foot 5 and fairly strong. And most of the guys who are, you know, wing, like near wing sized and strong haven't shown nearly the footwork and deceleration that, you know, not even close to like a Luca or a Harden, but certainly like a Killian. Um, and yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I think the, um, there's, there's, there's more ways to, to score and to advantage create on drives than with raw burst and speed. Um, and like, yeah, hopefully with, you know, with if Killian has success in this way, that that's something that continues to be understood by more and more people is that there's different ways to win and there's different ways to score. And I wonder if we see more prospects in this kind of mold as more young prospects have have you know players like Luca as their primary models um, in terms of winning in, in these ways. Obviously, he's impossible to replicate entirely because of his inherent uniqueness, but. Uh, you know, I, I think there could be a trend there, and you know, Killian certainly, you know, uh, a micro version of that. Yeah, I feel like if if Harden and Luca show us anything, um, it, it should be that like, you know, basketball is not played one on zero. It's not about how fast you can cover a certain distance. You're playing against one defender, but you're playing against five defenders. Um, like. It, it, sh- it should be taken, you know, the game should be taken in that context. And I do think that Killian has some ability to manipulate his defender and other defenders 
to create advantages for himself and others. Like, n- n- I want to be abundantly clear, not on the level of, Lu- of Luka Doncic, not on the level of James Harden. Uh, if he could, you know, he'd be in a tier of his own in this class. Far and away, yeah. But, but like, you, it's why you can't evaluate prospects by lining up, okay, how is his burst? How is his vertical leaping? How is his shooting? No, because you're you're playing a game of basketball. You're not tallying abilities. Um, and I think that Killian does have an ability to play against defenders in a way that creates advantages, as opposed to you know may, you know maybe he doesn't have the greatest burst in the world. Yeah, I think there's like I kind of like reiterating there's a level of coherence um, with Killian's skill set that matters. That it, it all comes together in a functional way. Um, that that it's not just like a ball of or or, or isolated enticing traits. Like this, like part of what is my worry with with Kyra Lewis, like that, that he has a lot of enticing traits in you know the burst and you know some of the handling flashes and some of the live dribble passes. But in 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 actuality, I don't think it really works in a functional way. At least not in terms of translation to the next level, uh, where I think Killian's more applicable there. Not, not just in translation, but in how, but but in like how he is right now as a basketball player. Yeah, I mean, Kyra, Kyra is a good way to contrast the, uh, with him because yeah, he yeah. does have that like yeah. really, really next level burst. But I don't think it really translates to breaking guys down off the dribble. Like I don't think that he m- knows how to manipulate defenders with that. You know, he can run by guys. Uh, he's mm. he's a great transition early offense. Right, player. and that's why I mean we love him so much as a closeout attacker and like a good transition player. He just doesn't have you know the ability to manipulate and pick and roll or you know string together more than one maybe two dribble moves. I mean, I mean you'd assume a guy who's that bursty would be a good isolation scorer in college at least, and he wasn't. Like he he just doesn't have the handle. He doesn't have the other um, you know threats uh, to threaten defenses with that like he just has yeah. the first and it doesn't come together in a way that allows him to consistently break down yeah. uh individual defenders Kyra being smaller also like manifests himself as like core stabilization so like he can't go these multiple speeds and struggles to slow down into contact because it's hard to explode out of contact when you're you know a skinnier dude yeah. So I think that like the frame limitations do intersect with the change of pace concerns because it he wants to be in big spaces and this sort of uh, advantage creation through you know, change of really small space happens in like the paint or areas where like everything's super combustible and sort of requires a degree of physicality that, uh, that Kyra doesn't have right now. PD, do you think that in this class, Killian stands alone in his ability to play through contact? I, like among the guards, like I, I think Maxi can, uh, I think Riller can, um, what do you what do you think? How do you think he compares to some of the other best guys in this class at playing through contact as a guard? Um, I think that Hayes has the highest ceiling to play through contact. There's still moments where people like slap down at the ball and he just like eats it and is able to bring like, <laughs> like bring the ball all the way down and then rise again through it. But like on a play to play basis, Maxine really Riller are like more physical with their finishing. Um, and just like more punishing of defenders, but they're also more physically developed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing that I think that he really still needs to add, um, well, a, a few things. But the the first one to just to the point of winning at the point of of uh, a screen is that he does need a lot of pick and roll craft still. I think, but I think that's pretty developable. 
Uh, I think we've seen a lot of guys get much better at like getting guys in jail and, and um, you know, just one would think that that would come for him with reps and strength and just like targeted training of that. Uh, and I think that once he, he has those, those craft elements in his, in his pick and roll game, uh, I think he'll be pretty potent with it because of, of what we've discussed with his size and strength. Um, and just the fact that once, once you have the defense in a disadvantaged position like that, like Killian is going to make awesome decisions uh, and totally maximize uh, the situation on top of, you know, when, once you have the defense at a disadvantage like that, like he's not just going to seize what's there. He's going to create other windows through his manipulation. Um, I mean, to that end, PD, I, we've, we've talked about this a little bit, but but what are your thoughts on, on developing uh, things like craft? To me, that's about as easy as you get, um, especially for a guy this young that clearly has had major craft developments um, and, you know, exposure to high craft situations and exposure to, you know, two-sided uh, pick-and-roll offenses. The long-term marriage of uh, his ability to learn and the things he's most likely going to be exposed to. Like I haven't seen anything that says uh, he doesn't have the ability to learn other than like the giant screaming elephant in the corner of the room that I assume we're going to talk about later. Yeah, that will, that will come up later. <laughs> yeah. The, the other thing that is a, a big improvement area, we'll call it for Killian um, is while, like, while we've talked up a lot of the athletic improvements that he's made, and they're very much there, um, his lower body is still pretty stiff. Uh, and there are moments that look okay. Like like we've said, his burst has gotten better for sure, and he's gotten more flexible in his lower body. But it's like, to I would contrast him with like Grant Riller, who from a standstill, Riller's first step, like he can have his ankle at like a sub 90 degree angle. It looks very painful. But it, it, like it's incredible. It's why his first step is absurd, and he can just blow by guys from a standstill with one step. And it's a lot of, or not a lot, but it's a part of what makes him such a such an enticing prospect. Killian very much doesn't have that. Like his his first couple steps, he's going to stay pretty upright, and then he can get lower now. But um, you know, go, going forward, if he can add ankle flexibility, if he can get uh, to be a more explosive player, I mean, much like Luca has in the NBA. Uh, he could be really overwhelming. So, I mean, PD, how do, how do you feel about the the possibility of NBA strength and conditioning programs really working with him to to improve the flexibility of his lower body? Um, pretty good. Ankle flexibility is weird. Um, like, I've I've probably mentioned this to both of you guys privately, but like in a lot of ways, Killian has like the the physical problems of like a middle ball child. He sort of has Lamelo's issues, and he sort of has Lonzo's issues. And like Lonzo's ankle issues are super real, and you know uh, people have theorized that it's you know the running up hills every day, um, creating this sort of like lock mechanism. But Lonzo's gotten better. Um, I think that ankle stability and ankle flexibility are things that like you get solid returns on. But the idea that the guy's going to go from like uh, robot ankles to like Jimmy Butler is pretty far off. Like, I think that he'll get better. And um, especially because like, there's like his lower body is kind of his biggest physical issue. Like his upper body, like it looks really solid. So like most of the time there's, this isn't going to be like a Poku situation where like everything needs work. So never, not everything is going to get the attention it may deserve. 
Um, but like because with Killian, it's you know the lower body weight and the flexibility. Like, I think that there's a pretty good chance that it'll get addressed. Um, the growth, I would say, if he gets 30% better than what he is now, then we're looking at like a dynamic player. Um, but it's still going. To, I think that by the time that he's 24, 25, like you won't look at it and be like, well, his ankles are you know bad. It'll be like he's he's good there, and that that's the only level that he needs to really get to. I view Killian as kind of like a, a, a Killian's, you know, is talking about driving in this lens, just kind of like a foil to someone like RJ Hampton, who has that really great ankle flexibility that Riller has, you know, which, which, you know, allows RJ Hampton to have arguably the best first step in the class. And then RJ is also really good at, you know, using his stride length to beat guys and dislodging guys and getting low initially, dipping a shoulder, which, which Killian's not great at. But, you know, where RJ struggles is actually finishing drives with his, you know, change of direction post first step, uh, his finishing, and, you know, th- those are all areas where, where Killian is beginning to excel. Um, that's, just, that's just an interesting foil, I thought. But, yeah, I mean, just just all of those kind of early drive areas um, is, is are, are, are the improvement areas, not just for me, the ankle flexibility, you know, continuing to work on that, you know, the, the, the shoulder dips and the dislodges and, the, the, you know, the varied stride lengths and things like that. Yeah, I mean, he's he's gotten to a point where he's he's – a lot better with craft stuff like he can use footwork and deceleration like he has some of those hayward-esque deceleration footwork like the the defender is going to jump past me and i'm going to shoot a little leaner things like he has some of that but there's still a ton of room yeah. for growth there um but i, I don't know if, if you feel capable of answering this pd but what would would you say that you could put a percentage of increase um that we saw in in his lower body lower body flexibility uh between the last year in Cholet and, and Ulm, because I, it seems to me like there's been a pretty like there's been pretty sizable growth already, which is kind of the whole thing, which is like a lot of the reason that I'm so optimistic with Killian growing physically uh, is that we've already seen it. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I could put a percentage on it, but I would just say like the score would sort of be like very good. Yeah, um, one of the more dramatic uh, growths I've seen from somebody who didn't like come out of nowhere like a lot of times you'll see guys um put on weight or put on you know uh flexibility or have some physical transformation the first year or the second year they'll like they really uh have a, a a competent team around them but this is like one of the first times i can really think of that somebody it's like the son of you know a, a professional athlete who's had years of you know physical development just like has a click and gets better dramatically two consecutive years in like important and relative ways. As sports keep coming back, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball will soon be in full swing and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action. BetOnline has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expansive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit BetOnline.ag to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back sports bonuses. Bet online, your on your online wagering experts. 2020 has been the year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing you can control, and that's shaving your bush. Our sponsors at Manscaped are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that's designed to give you a confidence boost through body image. Their ceramic blade and skin safe technology are designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down low. The Lawnmower 3.0 is also waterproof and comes with an LED light so you can manscape in the shower, in the dark, 
or in a dark shower, whatever floats your boat. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to their Lawn Mower 3.0 trimmer. In fact, listeners of this show will get 20% off plus free shipping with the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns by shaving that front trunk. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and the other area that that I think his his improved uh, flexibility or just like not even that, just like decreased stiffness is perhaps a better way to put it. It really shows up on the defensive end, particularly on the ball, where um, he used to be a kind of a disaster. Like he was never in a stance; he couldn't slide at all. Uh, he was just wildly upright as a player. And this is we're talking last year. So I guess at this point it's probably like 18 months ago, but we're, we're talking last year. And then he comes in this year at Ulm and he is not a perfect on-ball guard defender, but oh my God. I mean, just night and day differences in terms of lateral quickness, his just ability to, to get like bend in his knees and just to like get low and really hound people with his size and, and just improved quickness. So um, I think it's more than quickness. I think there's actually a couple of things happen there. Like the first one is obviously prior perception, just like where your body is in space. And the second one is reaction time. Like the thing that happened a lot was that he would move with people fine. The problem is that he gave them like a half second head start every single time they would get to the cut. Um, so I think that not like it, it's not just quickness. There's clearly a, like a neuro component of seeing and sending the impulse down to slide with your feet. Yeah, he he also couldn't he couldn't stop on a dime either. Yeah. Oh, his his balance was really really bad. Like uh, the the big one for me isn't just the like. There's a clip that I have in the breakdown of him sort of uh, guiding somebody along the baseline. Like that stuff is cool. But watching him like guard uh, like Peyton Siva, where Peyton Siva is putting like four and five moves on him, and he's not really breaking his his chain. Like he's on balance for the whole time. He's not. Um, he's not leaning in any way. He's capable of exploding a different direction at any point. Doing that multiple times, it's like, okay, there's like a ridiculous growth that did happen here, and he still has a lot to work on. Yeah, which kind of brings me to, you you said in the piece um, that you don't think he's necessarily one of the rare plus-plus on-ball guys as a guard who actually matters. Um, So what, what level do you expect of him as an on-ball guard defender? Uh, I expect him to be uh, an important third defender on a team. Um, he's going to like limit an offense, make things difficult. I think most of his value is going to be off ball because most guards' value is off ball. Um, but like the idea that he gets like the Kyle Lowry, Marcus Smart threshold is just a little too much because he doesn't have uh, like either whether it's like the physicality of Smart or um, being small like Lowry, so that the the world perceives you slightly differently when you're in the post. Um, or just like the ridiculous intellect that, that Lowry has. Like there's so many factors in those guys that aren't quite present in Killian um, that like were present early. Like uh, Jeff Goodman said that he wasn't like, didn't think he was going to be like a high major division one uh, guy is like a bit of like growth propaganda. Like no, anyone who saw Lowry in high school is like, this dude is a five-star flat out if you don't see that like hard drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I... I think Killian is going to be a really high impact defender. Um, 
most most of that I think is from the off ball stuff, and and we can get into that in a little more depth in a second. Uh, but I think he's a really uh, exceptional off ball guard defender, and then has the size and and strength to actually act upon that. But I do think that that his situational usage will vary on you know the personality of the opposition, um, and I think that you're probably right that he's some he's somewhere between. Um, you know, the guys who really, really matter on the ball and just another guy. Uh, but I do think it's some, in some matchups, he's going to be really overwhelming with his size. You know, like if, if you're talking about guys who aren't necessarily the quickest in the world um, or who really are, are kind of, kind of like similar to him in, the, in that they rely on change of pace to win. Like, I think he will be able to stay balanced and stay with them. Uh, and then I, I think his size can really be overwhelming. Um, and, and strength as well, just like bumping guys offline. Um, I, so I think that in certain situations, he'll be a pretty overwhelming guard defender. And I think that something you mentioned in the piece is that he, he does have a chance to be a guy that you can throw on wings as well. Yeah, I think a lot of the real like on-ball defense guard value nowadays comes from the Bledsoe's, like you said, the Lowry's and Smart's who can stay attached to pull-up shooters. And like I said, I, like we've been saying, I don't think Killian is, is that kind of guy. Um, I mean, but I, I think the point you made about him potentially being able to guard wings is really important. Um, because that, you know, he, he, he his size, I mean, he is just legitimately six foot five. And most of these guards who can hang at least somewhat on the ball against guards can't don't have the size or the strength or the pure height to play up against wings. Um, and, and Killian's going to have that, which I mean, is, is just really, really important for his value as an on-ball defender. Um, I mean, like you said, I think most of his value is, is going to come off the ball, like doing things like working at the nail, you know, with his, with it, with his timing there and, and his just general intellect. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he's going to be probably, yeah, like, like not a game changing on-ball defender, but I mean, he has gone from a bad one, to a good one in a short amount of time. I don't think, I don't think we can totally discount his development curve. Though I think, like all like all skills, um, on ball defense is nuanced and more complex than it gets credit for, and it's much more difficult to go from from good from great to from like good to great to elite than from bad to good. And I think you know we'll probably see that with Killian. It's also important to note that like the difference that a lot of guards have from any level to NBA is how lower body strong every single NBA card is. Like that is something that like can't quite get overstated um, because it's just a thing that like when you talk to people, they're like, yeah, every guard is just a horse. And if you try to bump them, it does not work. And if you try to bump them hard, they will shake the shit out of you. Um, <laughs> and like, that's obviously going to manifest itself with Killian shooting and, and just looking at him like he's, he's super, you know, shoulder and bicep heavy like he's a cut dude and then you look at his legs and you're just like okay so like there's going to be some issues when like he tries to like bump dame and dame is just going to be a tree trunk <laughs> yeah yeah i think that's certainly fair um as for the off-ball defense i mean you kind of i feel like it's accepted that killian is a pretty great off-ball defender and so you kind of didn't really go into great depth on it uh in your piece so I guess let, let, let's let's talk about it a bit now. I mean, to what degree of, of off-ball guard defender do you, do you think he can beat PD? I wouldn't want him... I don't think he's going to be like a huge space eater, like one of these guys who can mm -hmm. crash down hard and still get out on shooters. 
the wingspan's not quite there. He's not the fastest dude in the entire world. Um, while he's reactive, I just think that like the most reasonable thing that you can do is give him sort of like the healthy version of the Halliburton role, where you keep him on a, the secondary guard at all times. You let him uh, overhelp and be under threatened on ball, so he'll have a little bit of an overwhelming uh, on ball responsibility where he just pressures, and then you can like send him in the help direction. Yeah, that seems reasonable to me. That he's yeah he's gonna make second perimeter uh, options look really bad, uh, and maybe get too much credit for that uh, because those guys aren't necessarily that you know unbelievable. Um, and then uh, yeah, I think that he's really really good off the ball. I think that as a guy who who like Ben said can work from the nail uh, and just like blow up lots and lots of drives with stunts and digs and and just he doesn't have overwhelming length, but just overall as a, as a you know lead guard with a 6-8 wingspan that is you know quite quite a lot of reach even if it's not relative to his height insane um i think that he's a guy who can be really disruptive i think he is he is a great feel for it already i think he always has is, is kind of the thing like even at Sholay when he was a really bad on ball defender he had these these off ball instincts and this just knack for for um interfering with stuff off the ball uh and i just i find him to be highly highly trustworthy as a team guy, you know, whether that's, you know, in the, in the corner and he needs to tag a role man and then recover, like, Oh, he's by no means Devin Vassell and his ability to, to eat space and, and impact multiple actions. But I, I very much trust him to fulfill his responsibilities and then also to make plays with his anticipation because so he, he has some of the best, I think, anticipatory defensive plays usually steals that then wind up being dunks uh, of, of anyone in this class. So I have two small things. Um, one being that, like we don't actually know how tall Hayes is. That like the last real measurement we have is two years ago. Um, so he could be full six six. He could you know be the exact same height. His wingspan could be bigger. Like it's um, a legitimate mystery and one that's fairly important uh, distinction to make. And the second one is that while Hayes doesn't have good length, his length functions at a higher level because of how strong his hands are. So he can he doesn't need to get full hand on the ball like we saw the most uh visible representation of this with Kawhi but like Kawhi doesn't need to get more than a single middle finger on the ball <laughs> like is anybody else Kawhi no but like when your hand your your reach doesn't have to be as great when anything you reach is also in your grasp no so yeah. like when Hayes gets a hand on like even a fingertip on the ball that's a really strong hand that's why like when we're talking about his finishing it's because he can just eat a lot of contact because he has very strong hands um which is like the Marcus Smart special you could yeah. never get the even in college when like he was a, a straight up primary and an underloved primary at that. Um, like you were not getting that ball from Marcus Smart. Um, and then another small thing is that the key to winning is getting guys who are overqualified for their role, like especially in, in the regular season. Like Chris Middleton could probably be the number one option, but he's a vastly overqualified number two, so you win games. So if you can get Killian into this position where he dogs like secondary guard defenders like you're you now have a good team congratulations because you now have two real defenders and you have a guy who's giving you more than a hundred percent of a particular yeah. role so that can cover up in team building and in just like possession by possession uh realities 
if you can just stick Killian, I mean, at the nail primarily, like I said, have him on that that secondary tertiary creator, stick him with the free throw line, and just have him muck up all of the action towards the middle. I mean, that that's gonna be that's gonna be really effective, like you said, because of the, the, the hand strength and because of how smart and you know how good his timing is, and you know just have other guys play maybe more taxing on and off ball defensive roles. That you know that makes a lot of sense for Killian. Um, do you guys want to, you, you want to do the shot, uh, to close out part one of this? Yes. All right. So let's talk about the shot. Yeah. So next to the shot in, in the outline, we have a sad emoji. Uh, <laughs> the, the shot is, it, it's, it's a point of, of sadness for sure. Um, so PD, what, um, I mean, do you, you want to just, you, you want to just get into a breakdown of, of what's wrong with Killian? Um, I, it, it's kind of tough because you you do have to separate it between his off the dribble shooting and his catch shooting. Um, so I guess let's go with broad strokes issues with both first, and then we'll get into the specifics of what he struggles with off the catch uh, as opposed to his relative strength off the dribble. So I think that it's pretty much the same issue. And that like with some guys, they have two different forms when they shoot off the dribble and off the catch. Killian has the same form. It's just that one of them solves his issue and the other one doesn't. Killian has no rhythm. Like straight up and down, he does not have rhythm when he shoots basketball. When he shoots off the dribble, it establishes a rhythm because ball comes down, you put your for him, you know, right foot then left, the ball comes up, you shoot it. There's a like it's very gravity doesn't alter itself, so there is a natural rhythm to the wind. When he catches it, uh and he shoots off the catch, none of that rhythm is present. And if the ball is off in location, if it's off in speed. Um, if he has to adjust his feet at all, if he has to adjust his balance at all, that rhythm gets destroyed. Um, so he's a better catch and shoot player in a universe where like he never has to uh, move his feet on the catch where every pass goes directly into his hands and it happens at the time that he thinks it happens. That's not the world that we live in. And so he's like a 10th percentile catch and shoot player. Um, yes. But he's a god tier empty gym. Uh, I was going to say this is ex- exhibit 500 of basketball is not played in an empty gym. Contrary to public opinion, basketball is not one on zero. It's a wild. Uh, no oh, way. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Peter. So um, moving up from the rhythm, um, Killian likes to shoot one, two for the most part. Um, that brings its own problems because that's, you know, what you do when you are a very, very self-organized rhythm player. Yeah. Guys who, have great rhythm, can like shoot with different like timings on the one two. They can shoot with different locations on the one two. Like they're that is for like that is for people who self organize and self regulate in a way that Killian absolutely cannot. Um, his legs go in when he shoots a uh, 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 valgus collapse, um, losing some of the uh, uh, of the power generation. Uh, the next issue is that as he brings, he has a the rhythm issues extend into the dip, which happens at different times, different places. Um, his hand placement is uh, like the Rockaware symbol. Yeah, it's it's horrific. I sent you those two pictures that that made the uh, the breakdown of. I mean, it's like he's he really is holding the ball with two hands. Yeah. He, he it's like he's he's um he took the driving lessons and they they taught him the new uh, nine and three thing. 
And okay. that, that's how he holds a basketball when he's shooting it, which is not how one would hold a basketball when shooting a basketball. So yeah, the general idea when you shoot is that you have two, that your two hands are at 90 degrees at a self-reinforcing angles. And that um, like, you know, the, the guide hand, you know, keeps the ball in the, in, in the 90 degree uh, shooting bed, which is like the, the actual shooting hand. Uh, Killian's shooting bed is diagonal often because of his bad catches. So he brings the ball up and he's essentially shooting like pinkies towards the rim in sort of a karate chop motion. He'll fix this on the release itself. So you'll see his elbow sometimes like flare out as he regulates this. Um, and then his guide hand, he's a thumber, but his like over the past year, they've moved sort of the, the guide hand back. So his elbow points towards the sideline while his, his guide elbow points towards the sideline rather than like you'll see clay shooting. He has both of his elbows pointing towards the baseline. Um, basically just to try to get the thumb out and it, it didn't really work. I think the, the guide hand, like I don't have an issue with thumbing. I don't think it matters, but where the guide hand is, which should be 90 degrees or like as close as you do, like as long as it looks the same, it doesn't really matter. But because his guide hands or his guide hand and his shooting hand are at weird angles, the ball slips through. So a lot of times his guide shooting, the relationship between those two alters on a shot by shot basis. Yeah. Um, and not that like, so I think part of the problem also is like the alignment of, of his like load where, where it's, I mean, you mentioned the, the ball brother thing and like in many ways, in many, many ways, Killian kind of is like a lost ball brother in that he also like is right aligned on his on his shot line despite being a lefty um which it like which of course ties in with all of with you know all of these issues but um i mean how do you feel about about fixing that i don't think that the alignment is that bad on its own it's that the issue the issue compounds itself with other issues so the if you were just a right aligned if you were just a opposite aligned shooter, it's fine. A lot of people are opposite eye shooters. Um, I'm an opposite eye shooter for you know whatever it's worth. But you have to move all of the corresponding pieces so that you can kind of only you're only granted so many like what would be considered technical flaws within a jumper. And he just has so many that compound on each other that it allows it creates these vast differences. And the only time that it looks sort of the same is on these off dribble. Uh, movements especially to his right where suddenly everything is aligned where <laughs> the shooting pocket is on the right side and his hand is under the ball because there's almost no way to to bring your elbow out in the the you know the nine and three position because your all your energy kind of has to make sure that the ball doesn't go you know outside of your body so his elbow is tucked um and so it gravity enforces the things that his mechanics couldn't does he remind you a lot of Prospect Lonzo in that regard? Obviously flipped for the handedness, but... I mean, so the difference is that Prospect Lonzo was a straight-up three-motion shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, where Killian is like a 1.5. Um, the catch-and-shoots are like a, a one, like almost a 2. He's moving towards a 1.5, but he's he's a 1 off the dribble. Um, it reminds me of Lonzo and the... like. He can shoot it, and I think that if you just like, if you didn't want to make changes, you just you know cut a lot of shots out of his his shooting profile and adjust the offense accordingly. Um, obviously, it's having a three motion jumper and having a one point five motion jumper are, are different levels of construction. Um, I think the Killian's issues are pretty fixable, if I'm going to be honest. Um, the hand positioning, especially, is just something that you rep out during a summer, and uh, the elbows 
mostly fine. The eye issue doesn't bug me. The leg stuff is is a little bit bigger for me. Um, the valgus compression um, it basically happens when your hips aren't flexible enough. Um, so the sort of think of it as like your the structural integrity of your lower body collapses, and so more weight goes onto your thighs and knees and you know, caps and sort of onwards than should be. So you get this you know cascading effect. Um, where you can't generate the proper power. Uh, you see it a lot in, uh, in tall, skinny guys. It's just sort of a fact of life um, for, for developing younger shooters. Um, but for a guy with skinny legs to also have valgus collapse um, compared to like the rest of his bulkier uh, physique, it presents a problem where he's going to just become arm heavy. Um, and arm heavy guys generally can't shoot off the dribble, from, especially from like NBA range. Uh, so I think that the... The, the reorienting of the lower body is going to be essential just so we can shoot from deep off the bounce. Um, I brought up Damon the piece because like, you know, uh, listening and paying attention to Phil Beckner for years and years, like Phil Beckner has made it so important to, to just do hex bar squats with Dame and make sure that like there was so much stability off the dribble so that 15 feet, 25 feet and 35 feet look, jumpers look the exact same. And if we ask Killian to do that, like 15 foot looks great. 22 feet, it's starting to get dicey. You can bring it back to like 29 or even 35. Like he's going to be flinging it because he just doesn't generate enough power through his legs and through his core. Yeah. So, so it's, it's a matter to you of, of just developing the strength in his legs and his core. Yeah. And then the flexibility component, which comes across like obviously not having um, ankle flexibility. He's not going to have the same ankle pop. Like look at high school or, you know, freshman year Weber, Dame's ankles and how he generates the power versus like Dame. You know, his second or third year in Portland, and you'll see a guy who, um, like the power generated and how it's diffused through his lower body is dramatically different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the thing that's interesting to me with, um, I, I like I find the the rhythm disparity to be um, a worthwhile thing to talk about because I think with Killian or just generally guys who have like pretty extreme uh, catch and shoot versus off, off the dribble splits, there's some some element of like people just kind of throw their hands up in the air. But I think the rhythm is like very evident, the rhythm difference between Killian off the dribble and uh, catch and shoot. And you you kind of did the scary thing of, of invoking faults uh, with with uh, um, respect to Killian. And I think that there, there are some similarities there for sure. Like faults, I think people don't really realize, like kind of never lost the jumper off the dribble from mid-range because he was able to generate rhythm, you know, working as an off the dribble shooter. It's just, yeah, it, it kind of breaks down when he tries to add range to it. Um, and th- then it's completely, it completely breaks down when he tries to work off the catch. But like you said, it's just off the catch. It's about Killian developing self-organizational uh, principles that allow him to add rhythm and so like i i i sent you one example i, I don't think i've posted it to twitter but i can if, if people want to see it of um there, there was just like a, a catch and shoot one that he hopped into and it looked pretty good like it looked it looked rhythmic it looked good it didn't look uh segmented like <laughs> but he just he needs to add that consistently he needs to firm up his footwork in a way that that allows him to always have rhythm and that gets very difficult when you're talking about well i mean not that it gets very difficult but it gets more difficult when you're talking about in a game setting and you're going to have to field you know passes that are all over the place and and um you know you won't necessarily have a perfect setup before like 
I, I don't know. We need we need to get him working with our friend TJ Farrick. Uh, you know, get him or, or Trey's trainer. And he's Tim Martin. All these, all Tim Martin guys. before everything gets scrubbed off the internet when NBA team hires him. Um, <laughs> like Tim Martin has like the best explanation of why this stuff happens in like the video where he's like rolling terrible passes to Trey. Like they're all yeah. over the place. And the reason why is that he didn't want Trey to think once he catches it. And that's a thing that happens a lot with Killian. You can see him thinking about shooting the basketball and not like, should I shoot this? Yes. No. Which is like a thing that you get with like young Rubio uh, where you're like, okay, so there's, there's thoughts going on here that like, shouldn't um, No, you have the, like, how do I shoot? And you can hear him sort of like going through the recipe for his jumper in his head. And that's the, the clip that I sent you. That was very Markellish where it's just like, you can see him thinking through it in the same way that you could see like young Markell working through it. The difference is that obviously there's like, a whole bunch of like factors that are wildly different between Kellen and and Killian, but it's also that Killian was doing that in season. Like Killian is clearly making adjustments. He's having to renovate the house while living in it, and he's doing that during a draft season, which is like one of the crazier high wire acts. If you think about it, it's like this season determines where I spend the rest of my career. What I should do is tinker with my jumper. Like there's a level of confidence there that like um, is different than like what happened with Kel. Um, the, I think that Killian should never be a, a right-left shooter ever. Like he needs to sh- operate almost selectively off the hop. Um, that or get like the world's greatest dance instructor. Um, <laughs> like, and I'm, I say that, but like, that's a thing that people have done. People who do not have rhythm in the NBA have hired like people to teach them how to dance just so they can count off in their head. Um, and I think that the, the, the clip that you're talking about is how I end the, uh, the Killian piece. I, I stole that and plugged that in. Um, and it, when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, this looks, this looks like I have no questions about it. Sure. Like the, the hand placement, whatever, but like, there's no energy for thought or, you know, trying to figure out where the metronome is. It's just catch and we go. And for a rookie, that's all you're looking for, for him. Does he catch it? Does it get out of his hands quickly? And the same every time. So say with like, we'll say he winds up in an average, um, average level development context in the NBA with average shooting development coach, um, you know, just really ev- everything is average. Nothing, no outlier, good or bad. Um, what would you say your confidence level is in being able to apply these these principles to Killian and getting him to be a viable off-the-catch shooter? Good. PD. I would say good. good. Like it's a it's a tough quest. Like I think that an average place is going to maybe be a little less. Uh, here's how it is with the hop. Um, I've still seen his pre-draft where he's shooting one two, um, mm-hmm. which no, I I still don't think is the the right decision. Um, but I think that it's. To me, it seems pretty unlikely that he's not going to be a shooter. Um, there's too much of indicators, which we've obviously talked about a bunch. Um, going back to like my first time coming on here, though, like if you're a person who believes in large scale indicators um, as it comes to floaters and free throws, like Killian's the guy. Like you, you just bet on this and think like anybody who shoots that well for that long from the free throw line, like has the touch required and will figure it out. As people who are employed to teach people how to shoot a basketball are going to like smooth some of this stuff out. 
All right. Uh, that is, I think, the longest that we've ever talked in this podcast about shooting mechanics. Um, oh, for sure. <laughs> and very grateful for uh, PD coming on, lending his expertise. Uh, ben, should we call this part one? Yeah. Uh, Let's cut part one here because we have more flaws and good things and context to talk about in the next part. Uh, so, yeah, thank you again so much to PD for, for coming on the show. You can follow him on Twitter at Above the Break 3. PD, is there anything you'd like to plug or say here? No, thank you guys for having me on. All right, go read his killing piece. If you haven't already, what are you doing? Um <laughs> get it done before part two if, if for some reason you, you're still waiting on that um it's free on his patreon which is on his twitter go find it it's easy um follow the pod on twitter at prep number two pro pod follow max at max a carlin you can follow me at ben underscore pfeiffer underscore and with that uh, we will see you all on wednesday <laughs>